A businesswoman got on a crowded plane, and as she sat down, she pulled out her Bible that she was going to read on the plane and catch up for some of the reading that she had slacked off on on her trip. And the fellow next to her said, you don't really believe that Bible, do you? And she says, as a matter of fact, I do. I believe every word of it, she said. He said, ah, it's just a bunch of fables and tales. Like the guy who got swallowed up by the fish. What was his name? And she said, why, his name was Jonah. And I believe that he was swallowed by the fish and survived it. Can you tell me how a man could be swallowed by a fish or a whale and survive it? She says, I don't know how you can do that, but I suppose when I get to heaven, I can ask him. He said, to heaven? How do you know Jonah went to heaven? She said, well, I know when I get to heaven, I can ask him. He said, huh, what if he's not in heaven? She said, then you can ask him. <laughs> well, I agree with this woman. The Bible is truly the word of God. And we've seen and we've been on a journey with Peter because Peter has been taking us through difficulties that the church has had. In 1 Peter, he took us through a group of people who were being persecuted for Nero wanted to burn Rome down and he was using them as their scapegoat so that he could build a wonderful monument to himself. And yet this legacy that he was trying to build, he was not getting too far with because these Christians were being persecuted, but handling it very well. Peter himself wrote this letter to help them to handle it. And he affirmed to them who they were, that they were called by God, and that Jesus Christ died for them and saved them, and that the Holy Spirit was there to work inside their lives and make them victors in these difficult crises that they were going through. He told them that the God had given them the promises and the, the divine power, which is the Holy Spirit, for them to overcome and to gain victory over them. But now Peter is speaking to them also, several years later in Second Peter, where we now are because the people were having false teachers creeping into the church and trying to lead them astray, trying to divert their thinking and tell them that the word of God was not true, trying to teach them or to tell the people that Christ is not going to return, and all kinds of false doctrines. And Peter was upset, and so he's trying to steer them away from this false doctrine. And he elaborates on the seven provisions that God has given to us. And now he hits on a very important topic that's very dear to all of us because we come into contact with people who do not believe the word of God. They don't believe that the Bible is God's word. And Peter hits it hard, and especially to his readers, on this important. I don't know about you, but there are times that sometimes people get into struggles and we ask ourselves, is this really true? Do I really believe this stuff? Especially when we're pinned up against the wall or struggles are happening in our lives. And think about yourself. Imagine if you were thrown into prison. It's a dirty prison. And you hear that you might lose your head. You might die in the next couple of days. And 
you're wondering, is this really true? This, of course, is John the Baptist, who takes one of his disciples and said, you go and find Jesus. And you ask him, are you really the one who you say you are? Is it really true about you? We find that sometimes in our own lives, wrestling with that. But there are oftentimes people around us who just don't believe the word at all. So here we are. Peter is telling his readers, it is the truth. Even if they've gone through all those difficulties that they can find that the authority of the Bible is so crucial to all of our lives and believing it. And Peter starts by giving an accounting of it. He says, For we did not follow cleverly devised tales when we made known to you the power and coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses to his majesty. Now, if you notice in this passage, Peter is focused on an event that happened in his life. It was the transfiguration when Peter, James, and John were on the mountain Jesus, and that Moses and Elijah shows up. And they're transfixed, and there's a glorious glow that's going on there. And Peter reminds us of the experience here, and he says, we tabernacled together. And that Christ was being shown as the one who was going to be the deliverer. And what we find in this, he says, this was not a devised tale that I've made up. Because if you notice, there were three witnesses, myself, Peter, and John. We, he uses the word there. And he uses it repetitively because he wants everybody to know it was just not his vision. But he experienced it with those men in clear view as they were touching the flesh. And he confirmed the testimony of Jesus, that Jesus was the Christ. Those words that he heard God say, this is my beloved son. Peter is confirmed by it. He feels the significance of Calvary rearing up. And he says, and this is what Jesus did. What did Jesus do? Well, we have two people there with them. Who are they? Moses and Elijah. Why are they there? Why did God choose those two rather than other prophets? Well, the reason was he wanted to affirm not only to the disciples, but also to Jesus that he was going to fulfill all the laws that God had ever laid down and he fulfilled them perfectly. And that's why he had the lawgiver Moses there, that Jesus fulfilled all the laws And that not only had he fulfilled the law, but he was a special person. And it shows through the prophetic utterances that were given of Jesus, that Jesus was the only one who could fulfill them. And that's why he sent Elijah. And so these two confirmations are to Jesus and the disciples, that they're on the right path. And that this promise of the kingdom, you see, the false teachers of that day were trying to say Jesus is not the Christ. And that the false teachers of that day were taking and saying, Christ is not coming back. And yet, Peter says here, we saw the power and the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ in majesty. He says, this is what we're going to see when we die. 
This glory that we experience on the Mount of Transfiguration is what all men and women who believe in Jesus Christ will experience. This is not a myth. This is not a fable, he said. We did not manufacture this. Even though in society of that day, people were manufacturing all kinds of things that were taking place. Peter comes down and said, we saw it ourselves. And we saw what God was going to do. And he prophesied to us what he was going to do. That Jesus was going to deliver us from all our failures of the law. He's going to deliver us from all uh, wrong in our life. And that he's going to be the one who God has chosen to clear our deck. And you see, here we come not only to Mount Figuration. But we also find out that the scripture is so viable. All throughout history, the Bible has come through again and again. You know, it's interesting. People wanted to make it a science book, but the Bible is not a book of science. But it's interesting that there are certain things that science has discovered that the Bible had already revealed and has revealed. For instance, scientists at one point in time were saying, like Kepler and also Ptolemy, we're saying that there was only about 1,500 stars in the sky. And the Bible continues to say for centuries before them and after them that the Bible declared that there was an unlimited amount of stars. In Jeremiah 33, it says, I will make the descendants of David in the countries like the stars in the sky, unlimited. And ancient scientists taught that the earth was flat and it was on a table. And yet the Bible said that he spread out the north skies in an empty space and he suspended the earth over nothing and he is enthroned over the circle of the earth. And for centuries man spoke about it being flat. And then we also know that he sits enthroned over that circle. And for centuries medical science was in danger about contagious infections and disease. And we went through this whole thing of safe distancing. Well, the Bible had that way back in the beginning in the book of Exodus, that anybody who had a disease were to separate them from the crowd, move them away outside the camp so that people can... You see, the Bible, God speaks it and gives man some resources that they don't even know they have. And Philip Schaff said it this way. He says, there is no conflict between science and the Bible. It's just that sometimes the theories of science need to catch up with the Bible. And so we see that this accounting is so important that Peter wants them to understand what he saw on that Mount Transfiguration. And secondly, that it's the word of God. It's not man's word. It's God's word. And when we receive honor and glory from the Father, such as in her utterance, as this was made by him, by his majestic glory, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And we ourselves heard the utterance made from heaven, and we were with him on that holy mountain. Peter is saying, I heard it myself. I saw God speaking. You know, Peter is giving us inspiration, understanding what inspiration is. You know, there's some people who are inspired to write books. But here, that's not the inspiration he's talking about. We get jacked up inside and we want to write a book. He's saying God brought this about. God moved inside of men like you and me. 
who had abilities to write in their own style, and God used them to convey to him and to society and to mankind the word of God. And Peter is saying God did this to him when he heard God very much speak and confirm who Jesus was and that he was an eyewitness to the fact that we could not be, but he could testify to us through God's word that Jesus was that one who holds life and death in his hands, that he's the beloved son in whom he was well pleased. And you see, this word that we have then at the transfiguration that he's speaking about is the truth that the scriptures share with us every day, that we has fulfilled the law and the prophets and that we hold dearly to that. And that this word is credible. It has many facts to it and many facets. And it's incredible how it was put together. And there could only be one authority under that, over that, and that is God who superintends above it. That we can clearly understand that this is just not a book. But these are the very words of God that have been put in it by human authors that God has used. And we know that there's two views in the church about how the scriptures are looked at. There's some in the church who are liberal and who don't believe this book is divinely inspired. They see it as man sitting down with pen and paper and figuring out, trying to figure out who God is and writing it down. And that's how the Bible came to existence. But that's not what the Bible says here. The Bible says that God declared and spoke through men and spoke down and they super, he over, superintended that writing and that it was written so that we could understand what God had to convey to us. And it's the precious faith we get from that because God superintended and spoke the word to mankind. And if you really want to understand the power of the Bible, you just understand its credibility. For instance, its accuracy over the transmission of 3,000 years with 40 different authors speaking from different generations and different cultures that are speaking the word of God. And we are able to listen to this. This is what Peter's saying at his point in time. God spoke to him and he heard God speak it audibly. But he also received it from the Holy Spirit to write these words down so that we could remember them and continue to remind ourselves that who Jesus Christ is. And that this experience that Peter had was the authentication of God's word speaking through him so that we could understand who Jesus really is. And it's amazing how this book has survived throughout the centuries you know, there are 14,000 manuscripts of the Old Testament in ancient history. And of the Old Testament, there are 24,000 of them. And this is incredible if you know anything about ancient literature. Because in ancient literature, some of the most accepted pieces of documentation like the Iliad or like the Wars... Um, that they only have, for instance, 640 copies or manuscripts or partial manuscripts of, I believe it's the, the Gaelic Wars. And they think, oh, this is wonderful. And they have only about 
eight or nine copies of, of, of uh, the Iliad uh, originals. And here we've got all these other manuscripts of the Bible. And, and, and it's amazing that it's cohesiveness where it's written over three different languages with 40 different writers over a period of thousands of years. And there's an internal cohesiveness to it. That's why we know that the Holy Spirit superintended this word being given to us. And that we are amazed at this historicity that is bar none, there is no book like it. For instance, there are people who critics came and said, there is no such of a person named Pontius Pilate. Oh, really? And as archaeologists began to take their shovels, they found inscriptions in Caesarea to Pontius Pilate. There were people who came and said, the Hittites of the Old Testament, there's no such group of people who ever existed. And then the scholars who went and dug down in Turkey <laughs> found that artifacts with the Hittite culture inscribed on them. Some of them even claimed that there was never a guy by the name of Belshazzar who's mentioned in Daniel or Sargon the king that is mentioned in Daniel. And lo and behold, they dug and they found pottery and writings about these men that the Bible attested to be historically. The same thing happened with David. Some people believed, some scholars in history, or they tell us they're scholars, said there was never such a man as David that it's a myth that the Bible made up. And lo and behold, they began to dig in Israel and Telan and all these other places. And guess who they found was very much alive. And part of the house of David was David. You see, it's endless because people don't want to read the Bible. They won't want to believe the Bible because they know the Bible makes demands of our lives to change. And that it's God speaking to the heart of mankind that calls them to change. The British historian Paul Johnson wrote this great, he said that no longer is men of faith worried about people digging, but rather it's the skeptics who are worried about the archaeologists digging because of what they discover to be true about the word of God. You see, that's the key. That it's true. And it changes life. And you see, that's why this word has a specialness to it. It's just not another book. I know one time I had a teacher. When I was in Sunday school, I threw a Bible across the room. And he got in my case. He says, that's the word of God. You don't treat it that way. And he was right. That was just a foolish young boy. Because he's the word of God is the very words of God that speak to us. And you see, they're not only words, but words that come to life and bring light into our lives. Look at what Peter says again. He says, so we have a prophetic word made sure. 
A word that speaks forth. That's what prophecy means. It means it speaks forth into the future. And it's a sure thing. It's a credible thing, as we just spoke about, to which you do well to pay attention to as to a lamp shining in a dark place, our hearts, until the day dawns and the morning star arises in our hearts. See, this book is just not a nice history book that validates a lot of things that we don't know about. It's the living word of God that comes out and the Holy Spirit takes. And what does it say? People say to me, I wish I had more faith. Read the Bible. The Bible says in Romans chapter 10, 17, that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. The more you listen to the word of God, the more you listen to it through the Holy Spirit speaking to you, the more it changes you, the more you really see how true and alive it is. And it takes the darkness and it exposes it and makes it light. You know, there are so many great things that we have going on in our culture right now. You think about medicine and transportation and technology and all that community, but they don't change our lives eternally. And what they do sometimes, they even bring out more evil than good. You think about it. We have this great technology through the computer, but it can be used for good. But it also can be used for evil in people's lives and, and, and bring them down. You think about how our financial systems are attacked by the different groups in the world that are trying to bring America down. Or you think about some of the technology that destroys home life because of pornography and how that works. And Peter says to us that we, this word brings light. It changes people. It makes us new inside, eternally new. And engulfed in the spiritual darkness, we can see the great light through the word of God. It brings it to light and brings us out of ourselves into a new view of God. To a different morality, to a different spirituality. And it's the sure word of God that we experience. It's the transforming word of God that he elaborates on. After he promised to Moses and Elijah that we would be free from our sin and show us that, he, he is saying, this light now gives us new perspective on life. That we don't have to live in the darkness of our times. Not in the fables that people put out there today, but we can live in the truth. The truth of God. And we can be changed as we saw the darkness came to the world in the fall of Adam and Eve. We can see the light of the gospel through Jesus Christ, through these very words of God that speak to our hearts. And its effectiveness is so powerful and how it changes us. I can remember myself growing up in a Christian home, hearing these words, but they never took effect because the Holy Spirit had not touched my heart yet. And it wasn't until Christ came into my heart 
that I could see it changing and all those things that I learned and the scripture verses I learned began to pop because the Holy Spirit made them come alive to my heart and the light was turned on and I wanted to change. The very things my friends were doing and the sinful things, I had an aversion to them. I didn't want to do them because I didn't want to displease God. He gave me a heart that desired to do the things that God wanted. And that's what he does. It's an effective word. Yes, it impacts history. Yes, it changes our world around us, God does. But it also changes us. And there's a certainty in it. Taking a Bible verse and mulling over it and watching that verse change us. I've seen people with anxiety take a Bible verse and as they grow to infuse that into their mind and their heart, lose those anxious moments and thoughts and worries and learn to trust God as it talks about the day star dawns. And the morning star arises in their hearts. To see addicts who are sold out to a drug and be transformed by God through his word, by the Holy Spirit, and change them and make them new. What a marvelous thing. And you see, it's the evidence of changed lives that is miraculous here how God works and changes people. Think about it. The Chinese government has a real problem right now because there's an undercurrent in their world of people who've taken this book, the Bible, and they're confiscating Bibles. They're trying to get rid of them because the word is changing them and building the church in the underground. We see it in Hinduism. We see it in, in, in Russia. And the communists are fearful because they know what the word of God does. It changes people. It makes them new. I see this when we were in New Jersey with the Jews. People were afraid of the gospel. And they'd even threaten the Jewish messianic temples who were grabbing on to Jesus because they knew the power that it had to change lives. I get a kick out of reading this story about Dr. Ironside when he was in San Francisco. And there were and a well-dressed man, as he was speaking one night, came up to him after the service was over and said to Ironside, he said, you don't really believe this stuff, do you? I want to debate you. I'm an agnostic, and I don't believe in this stuff about Jesus. He says, let's set a date. And Iron says, sure. He says, but one thing I want you to do. I want you to bring one man and one woman, a woman who was a drug addict and a man who was an alcoholic and who were changed by agnosticism. 
and I'll bring a hundred people like that who have been changed by the gospel. And the man looked at him and said, I'm not sure if I know anybody that's been changed by agnosticism. And Ironside said, so what's your point? Because <laughs> he knew the changing power is not in the agnostic philosophy. The changing power is in the gospel. And people's lives are chained and changed radically when they fully are embraced by Christ. And they open their hearts to him and let him have his way in their life. They change we had several this morning in this first service whose life been changed radically from lives that were bound by the grip of Satan. Whose lives now are changed. Because you see, the Bible is the light. It's living proof of the truth. And it changes us radically. And why has that happened? Peter tells us. He says, because it's God-inspired. It's just not fine words. It's well-meaning words. Menninger in his clinic up in Topeka said a lot of people in Topeka that are in his psychiatric ward are tied up with anxiety, worry, and most of all, unforgiveness of themselves. Because they don't know this light <laughs> that the gospel brings, that forgives the sin and gives eternal life. And Peter says to us, you see, this is the beauty of this wonderful book <laughs> of the scriptures. And he says, no, first of all, this, folks, that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. It's not yours. It's not mine. It's God's. It comes from him as the source that changes lives. It's God who changes us and his power to take the word and make it come alive to our hearts and make us new people. And this prophecy... It's not some polluted thing that people say, oh, that's not true. It is. It's the light. It's not cleverly devised tales that people make up. This is the true words of God that changed life. And when people distort it, that's what we're seeing today. Even in the church, the distortion of the word of God. And it's not going to save us if it's the distortion that people are preaching. It needs to be the very words of God. Therefore, let us be diligent, the Bible says, to preach that very word. Think about it right now. Our country is going through a whole bunch of stuff. Why? The Constitution of the United States is being rewritten. 
And it has a radical interpretation. And things are being twisted. And the very things we took as straight are now confusing. They're crazy. And Peter. And here, we see that in our constitution. And Peter here says, this could happen to the scripture. It's not a matter of one's own prophecy. It's obeyed by not even an act of human will. He says it's men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. When we take those very words that have been put in our Bible and take them as they are and the way God wants them to be, that's when we're going to see the change in this country and in the church and in our personal lives. But until we do that, we're going to see things get worse. We're going to see things get ugly. And some things are going to be hard to understand that are simple because we made it a private interpretation rather than the will of God. And biblical interpretation can only be achieved by the ministry of the Holy Spirit through them to us to understand what God is saying. Without that, we are in trouble. Because these are mysteries that God has conveyed to us that are very simple, but true. And they're God's will. And that we need to be spiritually enhanced through the Holy Spirit to understand them. And what has happened to the church is that it's men who are devising these things to basically lift up their own points of view and encourage their thinking rather than God's. And that validation comes through the Holy Spirit. You know, it's interesting how prophecy makes us so well known. 2,000 statements of prophecy in the Bible. And God lets us know things that we don't see. Things from ancient times that he makes available. Historic prophecies. For instance, Israel resettled what Abraham had told to him. He said, I'm going to make you as many as the stars in the sky. You're going to have Haman. That you're going to be in Jerusalem. And in 70 AD, Jerusalem was destroyed. They were kicked out after God had brought them in. How many times have been thrown out of Jerusalem? And yet God's promise continues to come back. And they were driven out in 70 by the Romans. By 163 again they were driven out. And here we are in the year 2000. And God had brought them back as he promised. 
1948 to Jerusalem to have Jerusalem again. And here we are again, here at a time when Mark Twain in 1867 described it as a desolate country. <laughs> now they're back. Israel is back in Jerusalem. And the land is blossoming that God had promised Israel would happen. And it has. We see it in Isaiah. In the days to come, Jacob will take root. Israel will bud and blossom and fill the world with fruit. And what are they exporting? Fruit. That was prophetic. We think about Jesus and how he was prophesied about. This was not a happenstance of a little baby showing up in Bethlehem. 700 years before he came, there were prophecies galore. Behold, a virgin shall conceive. Isaiah 7.14. And a virgin. And in Bethlehem, Micah. And he will grow up in Nazareth. He'd come out of Egypt. He would be betrayed by a friend and for 30 pieces of silver. And Zechariah, that the chief priests will turn against him and the money that they will throw him and they will buy a field, a potter's field. Prophecy, prophecy, prophecy. Evil men will pierce his feet and his hands. And that his execution about this piercing, when they didn't even have any idea about crucifixion at this time, when it was prophesied about Jesus, and that they would cast lots for his clothing. Huh. Wow. All this was God breathed. That his tomb would be among the rich. Joseph of Arimathea, loaning him his, all this. Can you imagine if someone found a book back in the 1300s and they prophesied that a man from Connecticut would become our president. He'd grow up in Texas. He'd graduate from Harvard and Yale. <laughs> he would work in the oil business. He'd be governor of Texas and become the president of the United CABN, NBC, all these people would be over that. And yet, George Bush has nothing to hold close to Jesus. And yet, this is the way Jesus was foretold. And this is the unique nature of scripture because it's inspired. And today, as we listen to Peter, we have to heed what he says. We need to read the word. 
Build into your mind circumstances, situations, trials that you go through or you have gone through. And look at scriptures that can help you through them. And continue to spend time reading that word. Take heed to what it says. Feed yourself the word. And let the Holy Spirit speak to you. Ask him to show you what it means. And then heed what it has to say. Do what it says. I love Mark Twain, who was not really a strong Christian at all. But what he said is so true to us. He says, most people are not bothered by the, by the passages of Scripture they don't understand. He says, it's the ones they do. Those are the tough ones. And he said it so right on. And we need to take those scriptures and continue to narrow our lives down. Turn on those and really hold on to them dearly. That we need to guard ourselves sometimes from the familiarity fatigue because we've read the Bible so much. But look at it with the fresh eyes of the Holy Spirit and have him show us new things that we haven't seen. And that find those things that God is speaking to us and repent of those. You know, <clears throat> USA Today had an article by a minister who was trying to promote a social position. And in this article, he made fun of the statement if the Bible says it, I believe it, and that settles it. And he mocked that kind of Christian thinking. <laughs> How foolish. How he missed the boat on that. And a young woman wrote him in Facebook and she said actually I don't even have to believe it for it to be true whether you believe it or I believe it it's still true and so it's settled already and that's why I really believe the phrase the Bible says it that settles it, and I believe it. And I pray that each one of us has that in our heart. Let's pray together. Lord, we give you praise and thanksgiving for giving us this word that we can hold in our hands or look on our iPhones and read it right at our disposal. And this love letter that you've given us to help improve our lives and to live for you in godly ways. Help us to feed on it, Jesus. Help us to trust it. That these are actually your words. And because they're your words, because you say it, we believe it. And we're settled in it. 
Thank you, God, for these folks and their faithfulness in the world. Use them, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Please rise for the benediction. And now go in the grace of the Lord Jesus, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit now and forever. Amen.